Amen. Praise God and the Lamb that I love. Amen. Hallelujah. Glad for that. I think they enjoyed that too. Amen. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm glad for this opportunity uh, to preach to you tonight. And I'm glad, I'm glad that God would save me, but I'm also glad that God would let me have a part in what He's doing across the world. Amen. That's a joyful thing, and, uh, and I'm glad for the opportunity to be here at Community Baptist Temple here in uh, Akron area, Ohio, and, uh, and I'm so glad to be here. I talked to my dad before I came up here. He said, uh, where are you going next week? I said, I'm going up near in Ohio somewhere. He said, where's that? I said, Akron. And he said, where's that? I said, I have no idea. Somewhere north, amen. So he said, all right. I, he said, have fun up there, but uh, get back as quick as you can. I said, okay, amen. So, but I appreciate the opportunity. I had lunch with your pastor today, and, uh, and he blessed me and helped me. I appreciate him uh, taking me out. What was the name of that place we ate at? The Hartfield Kitchen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So I gained three pounds today, amen. So it was good. It was real good. I appreciate that. And then uh, thank we had a great talk, and he's just sharing his heart with me about the ministry. And, uh, boy, he loves you, church. He really does, loves you, prays for you. And I appreciate that about him, and, uh, and I appreciate him sharing some wisdom with me. And I like that. I thank God for it. And then also, uh, Brother Kavanaugh, last night after church, gave me a food basket that y'all had prepared or something like that. And I'm going to tell you what, I, uh, I got that thing to my room and looked at it. And it's funny, it's like every time... Time I make the decision, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to eat right again and lose weight. I get this big old fat basket, amen, full of all kinds of terrible stuff. And, uh, and brother, I, I, I went through it and looked at it, showed my wife, took a picture of it, showed my wife. She was so thankful. And, uh, and let me tell you something today. It is hard to spend the afternoon reading your Bible and studying your Bible with a can of Easy Cheese sitting right there <laughs> staring at you. It's like haunting me. I had to rebuke it in Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> 
And uh, that was hard, man. I tell you what. And uh, so, but I'm glad for that. Glad for uh, for for you doing that. And there was I, I I haven't seen that much Mountain Dew in a long time, amen. So it was it was good. It was a blessed, and I appreciate that. Appreciate our brother going to Taiwan, amen. God bless you, man. I saw that uh, that video, and I wanted to go to Taiwan with you, amen. I don't know what they'd do with me. Uh, they'd probably they'd probably think I was the second coming of Buddha if I went over there, amen. And uh, I yeah, I'm trying to be like Jesus, but I'm looking more like Buddha every day, brother, amen. So I uh, appreciate that. Some of y'all didn't think that was funny, and it was funny. You're just weird, okay? Amen. So, hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Some of y'all need to chill a little bit. Amen. It's all right. Hallelujah to God. Amen. I appreciate the, the Lord, what He's done. And uh, tonight, I want to start just in Luke 24 and, uh, and try to preach from there. If you'll uh, take that verse, open that chapter, and stand with me for just a moment, we'll get there and we'll, uh, we'll read a verse or two. And I want to share, you, I wanna share something with, uh, with you tonight that's just on my heart and, uh, and give you just uh, a few things that I see in missions. And uh, the few, first few days, we tried to excite you about what God can do and, and tell you a few things about what God has done. And, and, uh, and I'm, I see all that stuff. But tonight, I want to uh, go through and just share a few things that I see in missions uh, that I think, uh, I think that need to be addressed uh, when it comes to the task of reaching people with the gospel. Can I tell you that the world needs the gospel and if you don't give it to them, it's not going to be given to them. It's not. If not you, then who? And if not now, then when? And so we live in a day and age where we can do something about it with the time that we still have. Luke 24, verse 46 says this. If you're there, say amen. All right. The Bible says, And, uh, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations. Amen. Beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. I want to preach to you tonight on the subject, the four tragedies of missions, the four tragedies of missions, and uh, we'll just share our heart with you tonight. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Lord, that you would have anything to do with me. Thank you, Jesus, that you would meet with me. Thank you for meeting me in my, with me in my hotel room earlier today. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us in these services every night. And, Lord, I pray for a divine touch and a divine favor tonight as we try to preach. Lord, I cannot do this without you. Lord, I, you've, you've shown me things through the years, and I want to try to convey these things that I've seen. You've shown me to this congregation of people. And I pray that you'd illuminate our minds to see these things tonight. And, Lord, I pray that you would just burden our heart once again, fresh and anew, uh, to reach the world with the gospel. I pray for that. And, uh, God, I pray as I preach, help my mind to think clearly, help my mouth to speak clearly the wonderful truths of the Word of God. Lord, help me as I try to preach. I, uh, I pray for a good delivery of truth. And, Lord, tonight as we give an invitation, uh, may people come to an altar and, and re-enlist in the army of God and the work of God to go and do something for God by reaching people with the gospel. Help us tonight. We love you and give you all the glory for everything you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. you may be seated tonight. I, uh, I want to give you an outline of this passage of Scripture. First of all, number one, I want to say that I see what I call the price of the gospel. It says, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to sold upon Him. Those billows of God's wrath were going to roll upon me and we're going to roll upon you. But those billows of God's wrath and God's judgment fell upon Jesus Christ. And He suffered in my place. And I don't want to ever get over that. Amen. I don't want that just to become a routine or a cliche that I throw around. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And 
and he was buried, and he rose again the third day. Amen. That's the price of the gospel. And because he did that, I can go around and I can get saved, and and uh, and I meant other people can get saved, and and the world can be saved because Jesus Christ paid the price of the gospel. But I say here, number number uh, number two, I would say this is the place of the gospel. The Bible says in verse forty-seven, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Uh, can I tell you that Jesus' gospel needs to go and be in every nation across this world? I believe there's over two hundred nations in this world, and we need to ask ourselves, who's there? Who's preaching the gospel? Who's not being reached? Where is this going? Uh, we need to do everything we can with our life to make sure. The gospel is being preached in all nations. That's the place of the gospel. But verse 48, I would give you this, the people of the gospel. The Bible says, and ye are witnesses of these things. Circle that word in your Bible, ye. You know what that word means? That's an old English word meaning you. Meaning you. If, if not you, then who? And can I tell you that the divine responsibility to make sure that the gospel is being preached into all the world is placed upon God's people today. Can I tell you that Jesus could have wrote the gospel in the stars, but He didn't choose to do that. He could have given the angels the opportunity to preach the gospel into all the world, but the problem is angels don't understand redemption. They've never been redeemed. Uh, but he gave, uh, he gave His people the opportunity to fulfill His command and to give the gospel into all the world Beginning at Jerusalem, we know it began there in Acts chapter 1, there at Acts chapter 2. Uh, but it's supposed to go into all the world, throughout all the world. But I notice as I've been in missions for over 10 years now, I've noticed several trends. And, and I want to give you these four things that I see tonight. And these are areas that uh, burden my heart. And I want to just give you a verse or two and uh, share with you some thoughts and some stories. And pray that God would encourage your heart in these matters uh, the four tragedies of missions today that I see, I would give you a, number one, and maybe you want to write this down. Uh, the first tragedy of missions that I see is, number one, the unreached communities. The unreached communities of the world. Go with me to Romans chapter 15. I want to show this to you. This is something that God showed me not too long ago and uh, something that really helped me and blessed me. Uh, Paul is speaking in Romans chapter 15 about his ministry and how uh, he, the things that he's been able to accomplish. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when this is in his life that he wrote the book of Romans, but he says this here in uh, verse number 19 of Romans 15. He says, through, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. By the way, let me say, if anything's going to be done, it's not going to be done by programs. It's going to be done by power. It's not going to be done by, by posh and all that kind of stuff, by having every little thing right. If we don't have the power of the Holy Ghost working with us and through us, then nothing really is going to be done today. Amen. Uh, can I tell you, it says, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem... And round about unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I'm talking about the unreached communities today. Paul says that from, from this area, he, he names two places. He says, he says, from Jerusalem, round about unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Elycrium, if you imagine in your mind in Europe, if you were in Italy and you were to take a boat ride over that small, uh, that small little uh, area of water there, uh, West, that was, or excuse me, East, that was Elycrium. So he's talking about all this area through Greece and uh, through Turkey and all that. He says, from Jerusalem round about all through that area, I have fully 
preached the gospel of Christ. Isn't that a glorious thing to say that? Amen. I'm um, telling you, could you imagine in your life saying, you know, if you're a bus worker saying, you know, this section of Akron, Ohio, I have knocked on every door in that area. I have seen every family in that area. I know every person, every sinner, everybody in that area has given, has been given the gospel of Jesus Christ and I have thoroughly reached that area. How many people could say that today? Well, the apostle Paul said that. He said, I spent my life going into these towns and all the way from Jerusalem to Elikrim. I have roundabout that area. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Look what it says in verse 20. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was spoken of, they shall see. Uh, They that have not heard shall understand. Uh, He says in verse number 23, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. So basically he's saying, he said, guys, my work here at this point is pretty well over. He said, I've I've been everywhere. Everybody knows my name. Everybody knows who I am. I mean, every jail in town I've been in. Every sinner's home in town I've been in. I've gotten the job done in this area. I was, um, I was at a, a, a church not too long ago. And uh, it, was a, it was a couple years ago, as a matter of fact. And the, the pastor stood up and he kept doing this with his pulpit. He said, church, you see these hands right here? Church, you see these hands, this hand right here? This hand right here has knocked on every door in this city. And I thought to myself, glory to God. Amen. Wow, wonderful. He said, every, he said every, every door in this town, it was a small town, mind you, every door in this town knows who I am. And he was bragging, you know, about, about 3,000 people he'd knocked on the door, you know. But, uh, uh, but can I tell you today that uh, what a goal that is to say that I've done that. Everybody on that street knows who I am. Everybody in that neighborhood knows who I am. I mean, everybody in that town, can I tell you what a glorious thing that is for the Apostle Paul to say that? But I want to tell you today, there are large chunks of this world that nobody can say that about. The first time I went to uh, Kenya, we, we, drove, we flew into Nairobi, and then we flew out to western Kenya to a town called Eldoret. And from Eldoret to Malaba, Kenya on the Uganda border was about a three-hour drive. And uh, the way Kenya is is that you got just bush and, and country, and then you'll drive, and all of a sudden a big town will pop up, and there's 50,000 people there. And you'll drive through that town about five minutes, and you'll be about out in country again. And so uh, country, city, country, city, country, city. And we drove like that for about three hours. And, uh, and, and many times we'd pull up into a city and I'd say, Anthony, what's the name of this town? And Anthony would give me the name of the town. And I'd say, Anthony, what's the population of this town? And he would say, there's 50,000 people here or there's 25,000 people here or there's 30,000 people here. And I would say, Anthony, is there an independent fundamental Baptist church in this town? And Anthony would say, no, there's not. And I thought to myself, what is going on? Does nobody care? Does nobody, is nobody even trying in these areas? And, uh, and man, I was burdened about that. That was about 2008 that that, that happened. And uh, glory to God, this past August, I went to Kenya and we made that same drive. And in the three-hour drive that we took from Eldoret to Malaba, we passed 17 independent, fundamental Baptist churches that we were able to start. I'm telling you, we're not done yet, but we're getting a good handle on the thing. Amen. I'm telling you, we're going forward for God, trying to get, get all of that done roundabout through all of Western Kenya. We're trying to preach the gospel everywhere today. 
And God's doing big things, and I'm thrilled for it. But the truth is, there's places in this world that nobody's reaching. Nobody's reaching. Nobody's there. Nobody's trying to even go there, my friend. And we got to think about that kind of stuff uh, today. We went into Uganda this year in, in August of, during our conference, and uh, we, we were driving, man, three or four hours up into Uganda. It was so far out there in Uganda, I thought King Kong was going to climb over a mountain and start throwing trees at us or something. It was, it was so far out there. And uh, I remember at some point during that journey that Anthony Ekakal leaned back and looked at me and said, Spencer, Smith, congratulations. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, that made me nervous. I don't like it when people say stuff like that to me out of the blue like that made me nervous. And he said, congratulations. I said, thank you. For what? He said, Spencer, he said, you are officially the first white American missionary to ever come out and preach in this area. He said, there's never been one. I thought to myself, surely, with all these mission boards and all these missionaries that I've seen, through, surely somebody would have come to this area before. And Anthony said, nope. He said, I know this area. I was, I was raised in this area. I've lived in this area 55 years. I, I know this crowd. He said, you're the first one to ever come out this far and to reach these, these village people out here. And I thought to myself, that's pretty cool. I almost signed my own Bible that night. Amen. <laughs> you know? But then I thought to myself, that's not cool, that's sad. That's sad that there's pockets of people in this world that nobody's ever been to before. Why? Why is that? The, why? Why? It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. So the first tragedy of missions, I would say, is number one, the unreached communities. Number two, I would say this, uh, I would call this the unconvinced crowds, the unconvinced crowds. Go to uh, Acts chapter number 26. I want you to see this. Paul is uh, standing before King Agrippa. And then he tries to give him his testimony. And uh, look what it says in Acts chapter 26 and verse number 27. Paul's speaking to them. And he says, uh, this is what happens. It says, in verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, the phrase, notice this right here, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Can I tell you today that if I, if I believe this Bible and if I don't get any new information, I believe that King Agrippa died and went to hell. King Agrippa died. He almost believed on Christ. But can I tell you, almost is not good enough. Almost is not getting saved. Uh, there was that hymn that was written uh, that said, uh, almost persuaded. Uh, can I tell you today that you, there's no such thing as almost being a Christian or almost getting saved. Listen, you're either saved or you're not saved. And the trouble is today that there's people out there who have heard, but they have not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ. I, um, I, I, we, we have big crowds over there in Western Canada. Kenya, and uh, I mean, I preached to a crowd of over 19,000 people just, the, just this year in August uh, out there in western Kenya. We had a great time, and had a bunch of people get saved. Um, I, I have personally, in one meeting, I have seen 800 people walk an aisle and get saved before. It is unbelievable to see what God does over there. People respond so amazing to the gospel. Uh, but I, I remember we were out in western Kenya this year. And uh, we were at the Sierra Outreach Baptist Church. It was the only independent fundamental Baptist church within 100 miles of that area there. And uh, we're pioneering a work in that brand new area. We're the only ones who have been there, and it's, it's really a tragedy. But 
I remember we preached the gospel and God the Holy Ghost blew through that place and we had a number of people walk forward to get saved. But I remember on this side of the church there was an elderly gentleman standing there and uh, someone grabbed his arm and, and spoke to him and he said, no, 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 not, not today. No, 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 no. And I could tell he started crying and weeping. He started crying and weeping. And he said, no, 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 not no, no. And I remember one of our personal workers went to him and tried to convince him to come forward and trust Christ as his Savior. He's, he said, no, no, no. He kept saying, not today, not today, not today. Can I tell you, when I left Kenya, I wasn't thinking about the big crowds of people that got saved. I was thinking about that one man. What if that man would have come forward? What if he'd have gotten saved? What if that man had gotten saved? I think that way. But I'm going to tell you something, there's a lot of folks out there just like that. I remember I was on a plane with a, um, uh, I, I, traveling internationally is always an exciting thing because you never really know who they're going to sit you next to, okay? Um, I, I sat down on a plane on the way to Kenya this time, and man, it was awesome because I got on the plane a little bit early, and I was had a seat in the back, where, which is where I want to be. I want to be towards the back, and, uh, and I was sitting in the back, and man, there was like six empty rows, and I had a seat right in the very middle of those six empty rows. I hate to sit in the middle. I want to sit on the aisle. And, uh, and I thought, man, this is, this is the way to go. This is awesome. Nobody's going to be around me. I can stretch out and lay out and just, man, use these, these seats as a big couch and lay down. It's going to be awesome. And then here they came. About 40 French teenagers came and sat all around me. Now, teenagers are weird, okay? But French teenagers don't wear deodorant. And they're weirder than American teenagers. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting on a plane and there's a bunch of French teenagers talking French, posting selfies on their Instagram account, getting on my nerves. And I told... I got up. I said, I got to get out of here. I said, get out of my way. They said, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the I said, get, please move. I'm an American. Move. I don't believe in French fries. I believe in freedom fries. Amen. I had to get out of there. My granddaddy fought World War II. He didn't like French people, and I'm starting to understand why. And I went to the stewardess. I said, ma'am, I have a problem. And she knew I was upset. She started backing away from me. I said, no, ma'am, I'm not a terrorist. Please calm down. I said, I said, I have a problem. I said, Delta Airlines has done me wrong. They've set me in a swamp of stinky French teenagers. I said, it's not going to work. Not gonna work. She said, What do you mean it's not gonna work? I said, Ma'am, you have to move me. You have to move me. You have to move me. I can't talk to them and I can't smell them and I can't, I mean, it is awful. It's awful. It's all, I can't do it. She said, Sir, this is a full flight. I said, ma'am, please find me another seat. She said, sir, you can't do that. I said, ma'am, please find me another seat. She said, I can't do that. I said, ma'am, please find me another seat or I'm going to cry. And uh, I found out crying works a lot. Amen. So she found me another seat. And uh, she set me next to a, a, uh, uh, there was some, he was a Zambian guy on this side. And then there was this lady here, she spoke English. The Zambian guy, he, he conked out real quick. He, he didn't even talk to me. But this lady here on the left, she was, she was a really interesting person. She was Dutch. She was raised in France, but was married to a Filipino and lived in New Zealand. I told her, I said, you're the weirdest person I've ever met in my life. She said, I know, I get that a lot. <laughs> and, so, and I started talking to her about the Lord. 
I said, ma'am, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior? She said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I tried to witness to her, and I tried to explain to her. I took my head, my, I mean, we had eight, I had seven hours with her. And I, I sat there and explained my Bible. I mean, I was a mixture of Billy Sunday, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and uh, T.D. Jakes all rolled into one. Amen, that's what it was. And I uh, tried to give her the gospel, tried to get her saved. And, uh, and she kept saying to me, I've never heard this before in my life. And I said, ma'am, I said, uh, I said, would you be willing to trust Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? She said, right now? I said, yeah, right now. And she started crying. And I said, uh, I said what's wrong? She says, she says, if I do that, she said, if I do that, I'll, it'll ruin my job. If I do that, I'll lose my friends. If I do that, I, I, I won't be able to, I mean, what am I going to do? If I do that, if I do that, I'm going to lose everything. And I said, no, you'll gain everything. But I couldn't convince her. We sat on that plane for a long time. We talked for a long time. And, but I couldn't convince her. I couldn't convince her. I couldn't convince her. I couldn't convince her. And it's to this day I still pray for her and wonder if she'll ever get saved. Matter of fact, I, I read John 3.16 to her and I said, Ma'am, if you were a Bible scholar, just explain John 3.16 to me. And she explained John 3.16 to me uh, with masterful understanding. It was amazing what she did. Uh, but she, uh, she didn't get saved. So the four tragedies of missions, I would say, are the unreached communities, the unconvinced crowds. But let me say this, number three, the other tragedies of missions are, number three, the unsound cults. The unsound cults. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I want you to see this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Can I tell you, there's a harvest of souls out there, but we're not the only ones reaching that harvest of souls. Can I tell you that the other false religions are out there? The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Catholics are out there. Uh, the, the man, all kinds of false religions. The Charismatics are out there uh, trying to reach people with the gospel. Uh, look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, uh, verse number 13. It says, uh, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, wow, his ministers. Wait, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Satan has preachers too? Can I tell you that he does? He does, and a lot of them are on TV. Amen. Well, y'all didn't like that. That's okay. All right. Well, I'll move on. Amen. His ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Uh, can I tell you today that the Satan cannot destroy the truth, but he can distract people away from the truth, and he can dilute the truth. And can I tell you today, someone asked me, said, if, if Christianity is true, why are there so many denominations of Christianity? I said, that's exactly the plan of Satan, is to try to bring so many different branches and, and put so many weeds in the garden of God, so that after a while you can't tell the weeds from the truth anymore and can I tell you Satan can't get rid of the truth but he can distract people away from the truth that's what he does and um, can I tell you the first time I went to Kenya I thought I'd go into a place where there was no churches and there was nothing and man everybody was just just ripe for the pickings and man but I found out this that there's a lot of churches in Africa and what I tell people today I said there's a lot of religion in Kenya but there's very little truth in Kenya 
I, I was knocking doors in Nairobi, and uh, matter of fact, when you knock doors in Nairobi, it's not really a house to house. It's more like uh, it's more like hut to hut. You just knock on a piece of tin that they have hanging up as the door. And this girl came to the door. She was about 25 years old, and she had her children there with her. And uh, me and a soul winner friend of mine, we had two or three guys with us. We were out knocking doors, and uh, and I said, "Ma'am, uh, we're out here today inviting people to come to the Nairobi Outreach Baptist Church." And uh, she says, "Oh, okay, that's wonderful." I said, "Ma'am, uh, have you?" ever trusted Christ as your Savior before? She said, what do you mean by trusting Christ as your Savior? And I said, well, let me show you. And I went through the Romans road. And every verse I gave her on the Romans road, she looked at me and she said this over and over again. She said, I have never heard that before in my life. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm finding somebody in a major metropolitan area who has never heard about trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I said, ma'am, do you understand that you're a sinner? She says, yeah, I understand that. She said, but nobody's ever told me that before. And I led her to Christ and she got saved. She's crying. She's thanking God. I said, ma'am, uh, I said, I, I kind of glanced over the question about going to church. I said, do you go to church anywhere? She goes, oh, yeah, I go to church every Sunday. I said, where do you go to church? And she goes, I go to church right there and pointed to this tin shed that said Pentecostal Nazarene Charismatic Ministries of Nairobi. And I said, no, wait a minute. I, wait, you go to church, but all these truths that I was telling you from the Bible about, you know, you're a sinner, you need a Savior, you don't know, you need to have your sins forgiven. You've never heard that stuff before? And she says, no, I go to church there every Sunday. That, that man's never spoken on any of that stuff before. Can I tell you today, it's not, it's not that there's a preachers who disagree on preferential issues of theology. There are men standing behind pulpits that are literally sending people to hell with false teaching, false doctrine. And the problem is they, they've, they've lured their parishioners and their church members into thinking that they're okay because there's some form of Christianity. Can I tell you today, the cults are out there. They're working the fields and we've got to do something about it while there's still time to do uh, can I tell you, I, uh, there's Jehovah's Witnesses, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's Muslims in Nairobi. I was, we were passing out tracts in the Dandora slum there of Nairobi and uh, passing out tracts to anybody who would hear. And I remember this, this guy walked up to me, and he was about this tall. And he came to me, he goes, he goes, ha, ha. I thought to myself, oh, no, I got a drunk on my hand here. He goes, ha, he said, you're a Christian. I said, yes, sir. He said, ha. You don't know your Bible. I said, okay. He goes, go to Matthew 17, 24. He said, that will destroy what you think of Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. And I thought, what does Matthew 24 say? Or Matthew 17, 24 say? He says, I don't know, but it'll destroy what you think of Jesus. I thought, what is this guy? And we started talking. I realized he was a Muslim. And I realized that at their mosque for the past six weeks, they've been going through and taking verses from the Bible, trying to take, you know, uh, trying to undermine the deity of Jesus Christ. And they say, if you ever find a Christian, go use these verses on him and uh, try to uh, try to destroy his Christian faith. And I tried to reason with him, try to talk to him, but the problem was, I realized something: I'm never going to be able to win this man to Christ because the Muslims got to him first. And there's a lot of people out there getting spoiled. And messed up because we didn't get to them first. We didn't get to them first. Can I tell you, there's the unreached communities, the unconvinced crowds, the unsound cults, and all these things are terrible and all these things are horrible. But I believe the worst tragedy of missions is number four, and I would call this the unconcerned church. The unconcerned church. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 
I want you to see this. Um, and before I get into this, let me just say here that um, people have asked me oftentimes, you know, Spencer, you've been, in, I, I counted the other day, I think I've been in over 400 independent fundamental Baptist churches of all states and all sizes and all areas of the country, all styles of churches. I mean, just been it's been interesting. I've been in some churches that were camp meeting, and I've been in some churches that were high church, and, and, and man, all kinds of stuff, and it's been real interesting. But people ask me, said, well, Spencer, what do you see when you're out there? Basically, I see two things. I see churches that are apathetic and churches that are distracted. I see those two things, churches that are apathetic and churches that are distracted. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to see this. The Bible says in uh, verse 34 of of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Boy, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Uh, Can I tell you today that a lot of churches today, if I could use this, this illustration, a lot of churches have become nothing more than a slumber party. They, they've, they've fallen asleep on the job. They're not manning their post. They, they're, they're going through the motions, if you will, but they're asleep spiritually. Uh, can I tell you today that, uh, that three times in the New Testament the word awake is used, and all of those times is directed towards, towards a local New Testament church. Let me show you these times real fast. Uh, go to Ephesians, if you will. Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to see this. There's, there's three times the Apostle Paul uses the word awake, and, uh, in, and all of them are found here in the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 11 says this, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Verse 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So there's three times that Paul uses the word awake. The first time he says it here is in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Awake to how you live in this world. Uh, Can I tell you today that, that, that Christian people need to be real careful about how they live live in this world today. Can I tell you the worst, the worst reproach against Christianity is not being done by the college professors who are teaching evolution in these colleges. The greatest reproach and the greatest damage that is being done to Christianity today is being done by people who say that they're born again but live like they're lost. I'm going to say that again because I don't think some of you got that. The greatest detriment to modern Christianity is not these college professors that are teaching evolution and undermining the Bible in these college professors' classrooms. Those are not the great enemies. The ones who are doing the damage are the ones who claim that they are born again but live like they are lost. Can I tell you today, I believe that a Christian ought to look different. He ought to act different. He ought to be different. He ought to smell different. And somebody were to bite you, you ought to taste different. Amen. Can I tell you, I got saved at an independent, fundamental Baptist church that was against everything. And those people lived what they preached. And they tried to live it. They didn't just go through a routine and go home and live like the devil. They lived like Christians today. And can I tell you, that's what we need today. Some folks need to wake up. You're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Christ, you are God's people. You're the salt and the light of the earth. That means you're supposed to be different. 
And by the way, don't be ashamed to be in salt. A lot of people, God called you to be salt, but you're trying to be sugar. Amen. Y'all didn't like that. That's okay. Amen. All right. Well, I'm just glad to be here. Amen. You need to wake to how you live in this world. You need to live like a Christian. 1 Corinthians 15, you need to awake and try to reach this world. I said, does awake to righteousness and sin not? For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Can I tell you, when I got saved, I was 18 years old, and I announced my, I professed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I noticed something after I got saved. A lot of people that I had known my whole life came and sought me out and said, Spencer, I'm so glad you got saved. I got saved when I was a little boy, and I'm glad that you're part of our family now. And the first thought went through my mind was, if you were saved this whole time and you knew I was lost, why didn't you ever tell me how to be saved? We had a teenager in our church. Are we all right? Is okay? I feel, a, I feel a, t- a tension here. All right? All right. Maybe I need to tell a joke here or something like that. Amen. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I remember there was a teenager in our church, and he, uh, he came to me one day. He said, Spencer, he said, I feel like garbage. I said, why is that? He said, well, I went to my math class at school one day, and he said, these two boys were talking about, about, you know, they didn't believe in God. They were talking about atheism. And he said, it made me mad. And I slapped my hand on my desk. I said, you two guys, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. He was 14. He said, Spencer, he said, he said I don't, I, I've never said anything like that before, but it just the way they were talking about God made me so mad. And I, I, just, I just had to say something, so I just blurted that out. And I didn't really know what to do after that. He said this to me, he said, but Spencer, those two guys looked at me, atheist teenagers looked at me, and they said, you're a Christian? We had no idea that you were a Christian. He said, if you, do you, they asked him, said, do you go to church? He said, yeah, I've gone to church my whole life. And they said, we had, we've gone to school with you from kindergarten all the way into high school now. We had no idea that you were a Christian. He said, he said, Spencer, I feel so awful about that. What do I do? I said, well, you need to start living your faith and try to tell people about Jesus and try to tell them how to get saved. He's, and he became a great soul winner and God started using his life. But can I tell you today, we've got a lot of people today that are, that are living at like, I mean, that's like they're secret agents for Jesus, you know? James Bond 007 Christianity today. I mean, listen, God doesn't need any more secret agents, friend. We need people to be bold and let the world know Jesus does save. Amen. Take our faith outside of this building. You need to awake how you live in the world. You need to awake, try to reach this world. And then Romans 13, I want you to see this as well. Romans 13. We need to wake and realize you're going to leave this world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Brother Kavanaugh and I did a video today. We're going to try to redo it because uh, it had a glitch in it. But I, 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 want, I want to make this statement to you, okay? This world is going to end, and it's going to end real quick. Matter of fact, it could end by Christmas time. The world could be over. Jesus could come, and man, we're done. That's it. That's all that she wrote. It's over with. It's done. And I believe that American Christianity has a unique opportunity to not only to reach people with the gospel, but to pay 
so that others can go and reach people with the gospel. I want to I say something to you about your, your Christianity, okay? You, from my study of, of, of history and Christian history, you guys in this room under the sound of my voice today, you are the most well-fed Americans. You can look at us and tell that. Amen, amen, hallelujah. I pray that God would expound my boundaries, boundaries like the prayer of Jabez, and he sure did right here. Amen, glory to God. You are the most well-fed group of Christians to ever live. And by the way, you're the most well-protected group of Christians to ever live in the world. You get to carry guns. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I go to Africa and I, I, I show them pictures of a gun or two that I own. And they look at me and they say, you actually own that thing? You didn't borrow it from a policeman or a government? I said, no, that's in my house right now, baby. Amen, under my bed. Glory to God. Amen. And they can't believe that. But you're the most well-fed and most well-protected group of Christians to ever live. But I'm going to say this also. You're also the richest group of Christians to ever live. You, you're rich. You say, well, I don't think so. Yes, you are. You're rich. You're a rich group of people. I think right now, if you make over $30,000 a year and you have two cars in your, in your driveway and you have a job that has some sort of benefit, you are in the 1% of wealth in the world. I want you to realize that. You, you have an opportunity to give. And I believe like the Church of Philadelphia... It said here, it said in the church of Philadelphia in the letter to them, Behold, I set before thee an open door. And can I tell you, you have an open door in front of you too. And that open door is to be able to be a part, to go and to give and do something about it while there's still time. I, can't, I, I can do something about the unreached communities. I can try to help the unconvinced crowds. I can try to work to try to prevent the unsound cults. But I wonder what can I do about the unconcerned church? What can I do? The only thing I know to do is to stand up and remind you once again that the world's going to hell. And if not you, then who? The Lions Club's not going to do it. I got news for you. The Republican Party's not going to do your job for you either. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with politics right now, but can I tell you something? That crowd's not going to reach the world with the gospel. It's going to have to be you, and it's going to have to be me. And if not, it's not going to be done. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Bless now this time. This